If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John about literary dependence and the synoptic problem. This is looking at the process by which the Gospel authors went about writing the Gospel books. Given that the Gospel books are so similar, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it raises the questions such as, do they copy each other? Are the similarities due to the divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit? What do the evangelical scholars say about this? Is there something wrong with their approach? John will be looking to answer these questions and more. We're continuing from the previous episode today. We hope you enjoy. So let's ask our next question about Q then. Question is how extensive is Q? Well, they will say it includes the 235 New Testament verses that are common to Matthew and Mark. We said that already, but then we've raised this issue. What else? Well, how could you possibly know? Well, that's the thing. You can't possibly know. Even if you accept this Q hypothesis, even if you accept that this, these 235 verses were in Q because Matthew and Luke used it, there might be all kinds of other things they didn't use. You could not possibly know. So when you make statements about what's in Q, when you make statements such as there are no resurrection accounts in Q, there are no miracle stories in Q, that's not something that is sustainable. Well, but I guess you could say that, of course, there is no resurrection in Q. Otherwise, Matthew and Mark would have used it. But maybe one or the other did. This is one of the things that the scholars note is that the resurrection accounts in Matthew and in Luke are, are quite different from each other. And they say, well, it had to have come from their own sources. Matthew got his from M, Luke got his from L. But how we do, do we know that? We, we, there's no way to know that. Perhaps Matthew actually got it from Q or perhaps Luke got it from Q. This, even with this Q assumption, you cannot say that there was no resurrection account. And even if Matthew or Luke didn't use it, even if they had separate accounts for this, separate sources, it still doesn't mean that there's no resurrection account in there. So that's so much for Q. And yet it's accepted. And then along with this, we have to have Markan priority. Shabirali, for example, will tell you Mark was written first, modern scholars tell us, and Matthew and Luke derived their material from Mark and from a gospel Q. So here we have this, this issue that goes along with this corollary that Mark has to have been first. Mark and Q then give rise to Matthew and Luke. But interestingly, there were no proponents of Mark and Priority. No scholar suggested that Matthew was secondary, that Mark came first, until a fellow called Gottlob Christian Stora in 1786. And then a fellow named Christian Hermann Weisse in 1838. These people were actually the first to push the idea. And their arguments mainly were the idea that 
Mark has the lowest Christology, and therefore must be the earliest. Why do you think that these two people are so far apart? Did the first guy's theory not take off? Neither of their theories took off. This is the point. The evidence that Matthew was first is overwhelming. All of these church fathers who are in a position to know, the earliest who actually had access to, to the apostles and so on, they all said Matthew was first. It was so clear the evidence was so overwhelming that the most flaming liberal scholar didn't question it. We saw F.C. Bauer, for example, who put together those late dates in the for the gospel books, who claimed that Matthew was written, remember, 100 years after Jesus' time. Let's just pick a date of A.D. 130 for Matthew to put exactly 100 years after the resurrection to make sure it's not eyewitness Tessa, we went through this. We went through how he pulled these numbers off the top of his head. But right now, the point we're looking at is, is Matthew was still first. Nobody questioned that. But these two, these two floated the idea based on low Christology. What, what do you mean by low Christology? What they mean is they believe, as liberal scholars, that Jesus was not deity, that he did not claim to be deity, that he... I didn't do miracles, didn't rise from the dead, and so on. They're, they're liberals in theology and in biblical studies. So they look at the gospel books, and they look at which one has the highest picture of Jesus, which is the one that presents him as deity, which is the one that presents him as savior of the world, son of God, and so on. The gospel book that has that kind of picture of Jesus, they say, must be the last one. It must be the latest one because it takes a long time for these legends to develop. The less of that you have, the earlier it should be. And they compared Matthew and Mark and Luke, and they said, look, Mark has the lowest Christology. He has the lowest view of Jesus, and therefore it's probably the most accurate. As I said, interestingly, this was rejected even by, the, by most liberal scholars, and it didn't catch on. But it's crucial to the case of made by people like Shabirali, and we'll look in detail at how he ends up using all of these assumptions and claims to undercut the case for the, for the reliability of the gospel messages. But then things changed. Things changed in the latter half of the 19th century. In the latter half of the 19th century, scholarship, almost overnight in, in terms scholarly standards, almost overnight, did a complete voltfuss, a complete 180 shift from accepting Matthew as, as the first gospel book written to insisting Mark was the first gospel book written. What was the excuse for doing that? Well, Matthew C. Williams, in his book, Two Gospels from One, a comprehensive text-critical analysis of the Synoptic Gospels, puts it this way, quote, during the latter half of the 19th century, however, a new hypothesis took center stage. Renewed textual examinations reached the conclusion of Mark and priority. It means Mark came, was written first. Text-critical arguments established that Matthew has secondary readings and Mark has original readings. So you mean uh, applying those Griesbach canons that you talked about before, which have no basis and evidence? The Griesbach canons were applied, but something specifically important happened. And they say renewed textual examinations 
there was no new actual evidence specifically on this issue, no new testimony from previously unknown church fathers came to light on this. What is the one and only significant thing that did come to light around that time? Oh, the, those horrible manuscripts, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus that you're talking about. Yeah, Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus came to light. And we've talked about this in more detail before. Codex Sinaiticus did not have the last 12 verses of Mark. Mark ends at chapter 16, verse 8, where the women have heard from the young man in the tomb, and they went out and and fled because they were fearful and said nothing to anyone. End of story. And Codex Vaticanus, which was known before that, but not publicized to, to scholarship in general, that became known, and Vaticanus also was missing the last 12 verses. Now, we've talked about the fact that the testimony of these two manuscripts is very suspect in general, but specifically on this. The scribe copying Vaticanus left an entire blank column, which at the end of 16.8 leaves the rest of that column blank, and then it falls with an entirely blank column before it moves on to the start of Luke. And this is the only place in the entire New Testament where he does this. And the implication, the only reason ever advanced for why he would do this is that he knew that his, his copy of Mark wasn't finished and he left room to add the rest of it, but for some reason never did. In the case of Sinaiticus, the original pages with the end of Mark were removed sometime subsequent and a new set of those pages written. And with the type set, so-called, the font with which the scribe wrote being stretched out, stretched out, stretched out, so he could now avoid leaving a blank column. So the testimony of these two, the absence of the last 12 verses of Mark, is highly questionable. And as I said, it's obvious the last 12 verses are not inauthentic. We have church fathers like Irenaeus quoting from it 150 years before these manuscripts were copied. We have Tatian put his, in his Diatessaron, the first Gospel Harmony, where he put one together using all four gospel books into one continuous narrative, he included the last 12 verses of Mark. And this was around the year 170, so long before these two corrupt manuscripts were copied. So no good case could be made for that. But they wanted to do that. They wanted to do that. Why? Because now, when you put together these various things that they came up with, you can get rid of the resurrection, at least undercut it dramatically. But certain things need to, to come together. You need literary dependence. And we talked about if Matthew and if two gospel writers copied from a third, then those two are not independent testimony. Only the one that's being copied from is original testimony. We talked, for example, if, if you have an auto accident and you have three witnesses Three witnesses saying that the driver ran a red light. The driver insists he didn't, while the three witnesses outweigh the one. But if two of those witnesses, say have Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Tom says, well, I didn't actually see it. I just got my account from Dick. And Harry says, I didn't see it. I just got my account from Dick. Then you don't have three independent testimonies, right? You only have one. No. So, and so that's what you have here. If there's literary dependence, you suddenly don't have three independent testimonies in the Synoptic Gospels. You have only one. The first one. The second step is you have to have Mark in priority. You have to have it, and I'll show you in a moment. So then you have Mark 
is first and Matthew and Luke copied from Mark. Only Mark's testimony counts. And then step three, appeal to Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus to claim that Mark didn't originally have a resurrection. Okay, and, and John doesn't matter in all this because it's supposedly late? Yes, yeah, so they'll put John. They have to deal with John, obviously. The usual way to deal with that is to say, well, John is, is completely fictitious. And we have evangelical scholars today who will tell you that John was an allegory. It wasn't even meant to be historical. And these, these scholars call themselves evangelicals. But again, back to this, you understand how, how these three factors, literary dependence, mark and priority, critical text, work together to get rid of the resurrection. Now, the idea that Mark would finish his account at the, with the women fleeing from the tomb doesn't make any sense. And so at first the story was, well, the original ending of Mark was lost, you see. The original ending of Mark, we don't know what the original ending was. But then scholarship switched once once people accepted Mark and Purdy to say that, yeah, actually Mark did end there. He had no resurrection. Now you can see how that would very, very much undercut the credibility of the resurrection account. Thank you everyone for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or... Reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.